Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Would you stand with me this morning as we read the Word of God? We're going to be in the book of Romans this morning, chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, the word that you have spoken And your word has the power to transform lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that in us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you probably know, this morning we are beginning a new teaching series that we've entitled Romans. And the subtitle is From Doctrine to Desire. And I plan to explain why we have put this subtitle in a few minutes, but You know, over the next few weeks, over the next few months, I don't know how long it's going to take us, but we plan to go through the entire book of Romans, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And as a way of introduction, I want to begin by asking those of us in this room or who are listening online, I want to ask you a question. If you if you see yourself, if you identify yourself as being a disciple of Jesus, if you say, I am a follower of Jesus, I have a question I want to ask you. Do you 
Do you desire to grow in your walk with Jesus? I want you to think about that. Do you have a desire within you to grow in your walk with Jesus? And you know, in some ways, this is a, a, a question when we ask it to a Christian. It's, it's like asking someone like, do you want to be in shape? Uh, do you want uh, to, to be out of debt? Or, or do you want to do, do be a better friend? Do, do you want to be a better spouse? The answer is obvious, isn't it? The answer is yes, yes, I do want to, to be those things. And as a Christian, the answer is obvious. Yes, I do want to grow as a believer. And if that is your answer, which it should be, the next question I have is, what's your plan? How do you plan to grow? Because growth in anything does not happen by accident. Did you know that? Nothing that is worth doing happens by accident. We have to have a plan. So I would ask you, what is your plan to grow? What, what steps are you going to take to grow in maturity in your relationship with God? And I ask that because we have this opportunity right now as we're getting started in the book of Romans. Because Romans, it's a powerful book and is the most systematic presentation of biblical theology found in all of Scripture. Romans, which it's the longest letter that we have that Paul wrote in the New Testament. You might also be surprised that it's, it's also the uh, longest preserved letter from antiquity. But the book of Romans, it's persuasive. It's a, it's a persuasive fortress of truth that's filled with life-giving doctrines that if they are planted in good soil, if they are watered, if they are nurtured, because the book of Romans is the word of God, listen, it has the power to transform lives. We need to understand that as we're diving into this book. This book, the word of God, has the power to transform lives. It has the power to bring about salvation in those who are lost and to bring about growth and maturity in those who desire, who are already disciples, who desire to flourish as disciples of Jesus. And let me just say that Romans is a book of meat. It's not milk. Uh, it is for those who desire to go deeper and those who want to become more fruitful in their service to Jesus. And if that's you, it's going to require at least three things. You're going to have to engage in at least three things. Number one, you're going to have to engage in your mind. Secondly, you're going to have to engage your heart. And thirdly, you're going to have to exercise your will. Because all growth in anything, if you're wanting to get better in anything, it always begins with the mind. It has to start in the mind. This is where we think. This is where we reason. This is where we gain understanding. So first step, we've got to fill our minds, saturate our minds with the Word of God the doctrines that are found in the epistle of Romans. But we can't stop there. It's not enough just to have doctrine. God wants us, his desire is that our doctrine wouldn't just stay in our heads, but that it would produce desires within us, uh, that it would get into our hearts. The Holy Spirit takes the word, he brings it into our hearts, and he begins as we meditate on his word in our mind and, he, and allow it to, to get into our hearts, we begin to see our desires changing. Our desires go from our desires to his desires. Our goals go from our goals to his goals. 
which produces us wanting to exercise our will. In other words, we, we begin to live it out into the world. Mind, heart, and will, when these are engaged in the word of God, produces life transformation. And some of the most significant life transformations uh, that have affected church history, they point back or they attribute to their life change coming from the book of Romans. For example, St. Augustine or St. Augustine, whichever one you, however you want to pronounce it. He says that he was sitting under a fig tree and he heard this child saying, pick up and read. And so he thought, that's the voice of God. He picked up the book of Romans. He went to chapter 13. It convicted him of his sins. He repented and became uh, a disciple of Jesus. While reading Romans 1, verse 17, studying the book of Romans, Martin Luther, the great reformer, his soul was grasped that, and he understood that salvation comes only through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And he, he later went on to help lead in the, what we call the Protestant Reformation. John Wesley, he is credited as being a catalyst of the great evangelical revival of the 18th century. He says that while he was listening to Luther's, Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans, he says that his heart was strangely warmed, and shortly after that, it led him to put his faith in Jesus, to give his life to Jesus. The point I'm trying to make here at the very beginning as we're getting into this book is that Romans has the potential. It has the power to transform our lives. But we're going to have to be active in order to see that happen in our church. And teenagers, I want to say something to you. I want you to listen up. Young people, listen up to me. Y'all like to argue. You like to argue. I know that because I still remember what it was like when I was a teenager. My mom told me, she said, James, you like to argue. You would argue with a stop sign. And I said, no, I wouldn't. Teenagers, we like to argue, don't we? Well, I'm not a teenager, but we like to argue. Um, the book of Romans is a great example of what skillful argumentation looks like. Because Paul proficiently lays out arguments as to why one should put their faith in their life in Jesus Christ. Uh, in other words, Paul knew how to argue and to support what he believes in. So young people or church as a matter, whoever you are, if you want to learn how to defend your faith, you need to study the book of Romans. Now, before we get into our passage, I know that I'm giving a lot of, of uh, background introduction, but I want to give a few more basic uh, questions that I want us to ask that I think is going to aid us as we are studying this book. Number one, the question that uh, I want uh, us to ask is, who wrote Romans? Well, the Apostle Paul is the author of Romans. Well, actually, God is the author of Romans, and he, he used Paul to be the author. Paul didn't actually write it. He did write it, wrote. Paul didn't actually write it. Just making sure you're listening. I didn't write it. He dictated it to a guy, uh, we'll see in chapter uh, 16, to a guy named Tertius. 
while Paul was in Corinth in, the, in 57 AD. So Paul, God wrote the book of Paul through the book of Romans through Paul. Second question, when and to whom was Romans written? The letter of, of Romans is obviously written to those who were the church in Rome, and it was delivered by a deaconess, a lady by the name of Phoebe. She's also mentioned in chapter 16 in the book of Romans, and it was uh, delivered to a well-established church in Rome. And we know that it was well-established because in our reading today, in our passage today in verse 8, Paul states that their faith was being proclaimed throughout the world. Though Paul had never been to Rome, he had heard about the church in Rome. Which leads me to the third question, which is, why was Romans written in the first place? Now, there's several views, there's, there's a several ideas. Paul doesn't come right out and say why he's writing the book, but there's three, there's three views that I have uh, studied and that I, that I believe are probable, and I want to share them with you. Number one, it has been suggested that Paul wrote the book of Romans because he wanted to expand his ministry into Spain. He wanted to go to places that the gospel had never been proclaimed. He didn't want to preach upon somebody else's or build upon another man's foundation. So he wrote to Romans, to the Roman church, to gain support from them so he could move his base from Jerusalem to Rome and be able to, to get support financially and the church there supporting him in his efforts to reach those in Spain. I think that that's probable. Secondly, there, there is an argument that says that since all roads led to Rome, Rome was the capital of the world, Paul knew that if the gospel could penetrate the, the Roman culture that it could spread, it could explode, and it could spread into the entire world. It's kind of like um, Star Wars, A New Hope. You know, the, very, the real Star Wars from 1976. How many of you guys were in the theater when that came out? Saw it in the theater. My hand is risen. It's, it's, my hand is up. His hand is risen. You know, at the very end, uh, when Luke is... Uh, getting ready to shoot those two missiles, and oh, we want, use the force, Luke. Trust me. And, you know, Darth Vader's like, I have you now. That scene, you know what I'm talking about? And he shoots those missiles, two little ones, and they're, they're going parallel, but all of a sudden they go, what? I don't know how they turn. Maybe there's a vacuum on that hole. But anyway, it goes into the heart of the Death Star, and it explodes, that is a picture, I think, of what, Paul, not Star Wars, but Paul had in mind, that if the gospel can penetrate the Roman Empire, it will explode and go into all the world. And so I think Paul is wanting to make certain that though he'd never been there, that they, they had the right doctrine, they had the right gospel. That's a second reason. The third reason that I believe that Paul wrote this, and this one uh, is important as we're moving through because Paul was concerned about divisions that had arisen in the Roman church, primarily between the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is important uh, to understand as we study the epistle 
Because as we go through it, you're going to see that Paul is going to address, sometimes he's going to address the Jews. Sometimes he is going to address the Gentiles. Sometimes he's going to address both of them. But it's because of this a division that had arisen in the church. And this had arisen because, you know, like I said, Paul had never been to Rome. He didn't plant the church in Rome. Most likely, the church in Rome was planted by Jews who had been in Jerusalem during Pentecost. Found in that, it's found in Acts chapter 2 when, when the Holy Spirit came down and was given to the church. So Jews from there eventually left Jerusalem and returned to Rome and planted the church. They brought the good news. And during that time, more Jews believed, but also Gentiles began believing. So this, you got Gentiles and Jews coming together under the name of Christ. Now, sometime later, a Roman emperor by the name of Claudius, he came to power. And if you read in, in, in Acts chapter 18, we learn that he banished the Jews from Rome because they were, um, they were being uh, accused of political unrest, that they were causing political unrest in Rome. So Claudius said, you all need to leave. There's about 40,000 Jews that were displaced during that season. But the Gentiles remained. The Gentile church remained, and it began to grow and to prosper. Fast forward a little bit further forward, sometime later, another enter, another emperor came to power. Y'all know what his name was? Nero, the infamous Nero. Now, for a season, for political reasons, he welcomed the Jews back into Rome, and the, the believing Jews that came back, they came back only to, to discover that their church had become predominantly Gentile. And uh, a new view had risen amongst the Gentiles. And that is that the Jews had been rejected by God. That's why they had been expelled, that God's hand was against them. You'll see that Paul refutes this later on in the book of Romans. But one, the purpose that Paul is writing and some say this is the main purpose, is to bring a division between Gentile and Jew together, to make them one man under the gospel of Jesus Christ. So those are some reasons that the, the book of Romans was written. And uh, it's a little bit of a contextual background that I believe is going to be helpful as we're working through the book of Romans. And with that said, let's now turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. And as we're making our way through the first 14 verses, I want to point out four gospel truths that Paul knew about himself. We read about them just now. There's four gospel truths in here that I believe will enable us uh, to be fruitful and faithful disciples as we study them. And I'm going to go ahead and give them to you at the very beginning here. You can write them later as we go through it if you're taking notes, but here's the four gospel truths I want us to see. Paul knew who he was. Number two, Paul knew whose he was. Number three, Paul knew what he was called to. And then number four, Paul knew who he was called to. And so again, understanding these four truths will aid us as we seek to grow to maturity in, in Christ. Now, as we're getting into the passage, the first we'll notice that the first five verses, Paul does what he typically does when he begins one of his letters. 
he begins by introducing himself. Now, this is the longest introduction that Paul gives to uh, in, in one of his epistles. And this is primarily because, again, he had never met these believers. And so he, is, he, he desired to establish his credentials up front. He wants them to understand, here's why you need to listen to me. But what's interesting to me is the first credential he gives. If you're taking notes, the first, um, first gospel truth is that Paul knew who he was. And I want you to look at the first credential that he gives in verse 1. Paul, a servant. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. He, he begins not by saying Paul the apostle. He says the servant. He identifies himself as a doulos, as a slave. Now, now the prophets from the Old Testament, like Moses and Joshua, they often referred to themselves as servants or slaves of God. In, in the Jewish ear, that was kind of like an, a, a title of honor. But to our ears, probably it's not so much, is it? Doulos or doulos was a slave in the sense of becoming the property of an, of an owner. They acknowledge that I am the property of someone else. And let, this, this is amazing to me because Paul, the great apostle, the lion of faith, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, an elite, world-class, biblical scholar. You know, of the 27 books in the New Testament, Paul penned 13, 13 of them. 13 of them. You know, if I just wrote one verse in the Bible, and I could say, I, I wrote that, my, my skull would have so many cracks in it from my head exploding, being so big. But Paul wrote 13 books in the Bible. Paul, and he confidently viewed himself as a humble servant, as a foot washer, as the property of another. Um, how about you? How do you view yourself? When you think about yourself, do you see yourself as a servant who is meant to serve or as a king or as a queen who is to be served? Paul, in this passage, at the very beginning, is revealing what type of attitude we should have as disciples of Jesus. Of Jesus. No matter what our position in the church our attitude should be that of a servant. The reason that he has this view is because this is the view that Jesus taught us. There's a parable in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus is talking about a master and a servant. And he says, you know, when a servant is out in the field and the master has told him to plow and to, to keep the sheep, the, the servant doesn't just come into the house afterward and go, I'm done. He needs to know what the master wants from him. And he says, Jesus says, no, he doesn't just come in and sit down and start eating. He has to serve the master, fix him a meal, make sure that the master is taken care of. He says that when a, when a servant does what he's required to do, he shouldn't basically feel like he should be praised and put up on a pedestal. And look at verse 10 of, of Luke 17. He says, so you also 
when you have done all that you were commanded, say, look at this, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. That is the attitude that we should have as we serve the Lord and as we serve one another. You know, you remember John the Baptist when he was serving the Lord? What did he say? He said, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie Jesus' sandals. Basically, what he's, he's saying is, I'm not worthy to serve the Lord. In other words, it is an honor, church. It's an honor to serve the Lord Jesus. But when we forget this, what do you do when you forget that? When I forget that, I start looking for praise. I start looking for acknowledgement. I start thinking, man, I'm doing the Lord a favor by serving him. The truth is we were created to serve. And, you know, have you ever noticed that though we live in one of the richest nations in history, have you noticed how discontent we can become? I'm not talking about them out there. I'm talking about me right now. I mean, God has given us our basic needs, our food. Paul says it's food and shelter. Jesus says clothing. I've got all three of those and a lot more. But I can often find myself being discontent. I'm always thinking, and I want more. Or sometimes I think, I deserve better than this. Or like Martha, have you ever looked around, you're serving, and you look around and go, I'm the only one that's really serving God. I hate to even share that. But can anyone else agree with me that, that you've been in that place where you feel like you're doing everything or that people aren't doing it the right way like you are? Or having the attitude, you know, nobody's going to walk over me. I'm not a, a floor mat. I begin to have that mentality. I begin to, to think like that when I forget who I am in Christ. Um, and when I forget how I've been served by Christ, namely what he did for us on Calvary. We are servants who, are, who serve. Why? Because we have been served. Now, this does not mean, I want to make sure I'm clear about something, that it does not mean that we never stand up for our rights. There's a right way to do that. And it doesn't mean that we don't uphold the truth. There's also a right way to do that. Years ago, I was working for a company that built houses. And back then, they would put uh, pine siding on houses, pine siding on houses. And pine siding has the property to shrink and to expand depending on what the weather is. And that's written in the contract uh, to anyone that would buy that. Well, the homeowner knew that, and he said, I still want that. So they put pine siding on his house, and sure enough, it shrunk, it, it uh, expanded. The, the joints, you could just see it moving around. And he came back to the company and said, I want you, I'm not happy with this, I want you to replace it for free. Well, the owner, who was a Christian, refused to do so. He said, I'm not going to do that. So the, ho uh, the, the homeowner decided to sue. Now, uh, you know, in my young thinking back then, I was like, well, he shouldn't go to court. He should just do it. But the man said, okay, go ahead and sue me. So he went to court. Long story short, the, the judge ruled in favor of the company. But later, 
the owner went back and he replaced all the siding with the new siding that the man wanted. And that's because, listen, that's because he was a servant. This owner, this Christian owner was a servant and he served this man in two ways. Number one, by walking in the truth. He, he said that if I had replaced it before I went to court, this man would have thought that I had done something wrong. I needed him to understand I have done nothing wrong. But then he served him by showing him mercy and grace. Just, he didn't have to replace it, but he did. He lived out the gospel before this man. And you know, the church, listen, church, we are meant to be um, a family. We are meant to be a body. We are meant to be a community of ordinary servants. Ordinary servants. No super apostles, no uh, celebrity pastors in the, or leaders in this church, but we're rather, we're called to be humble, ordinary, approachable, touchable servants. And that's who Paul was. Paul knew who he was. Secondly, Paul knew whose he was. Look at verse one again. He says, Paul, a servant, what? Of Christ Jesus. Now, this makes all the difference in the world, knowing who you're serving. Now, listen, you are serving someone or something. It's kind of like a vacuum cleaner. When you turn a vacuum cleaner on, it's, and it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, suck something, right? I just made that one up right here on the spot. That's why it's such a bad example. <laughs> but you're serving someone or something right now. It's, it, you're, you're either serving a dream, you're, you're serving a hobby, you're serving a career, you're serving a passion. Paul said, I'm serving Christ Jesus. He is my master. I'm owned by him. I am owned by him. This is, this is the mindset he's saying that we all should have. If you, if you remember in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he reminds us. He says, you are not. He's talking to the church. If you are a disciple of Jesus, he's talking to us. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. What were we bought with? We were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, or so, glorify God in your body. Live your life for Christ. Grow in maturity. Paul goes on in his letter, and we're going to look at it in verse 3. He, said, he goes on to describe who he's talking about when he's talking about Jesus Christ. He says, who was descended from David according to his flesh. Right there, he's talking about the humanity of Jesus. Verse three is about the humanity of Jesus. Verse four, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here he's talking about Christ's what? Deity. You see that? Theologians have this fancy term called hypostatic union, which is meant to teach, to, to explain what I just, what I just read. It's, it's the union of Jesus' two natures. Jesus fully God, Jesus fully man, Jesus fully united in one person, the second person of the Godhead. 
And Paul says, he's the one that I'm a servant to. I'm a servant to the one whom God the Father has raised from the dead, to the one that God the Father has appointed to be the heir of all things, through whom all things were created, to the one who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, the exact imprint of his nature. I'm I'm a servant of the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. I'm a servant of the one who, after making purifications for my sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as superior to angels as the name that he has been given, that is more excellent than theirs. Paul says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, every day, church, that is a great question we need to be asking ourselves. Who is my master today? Not yesterday, not who was it when I was in college when I was on fire for the Lord. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. Who or what, when you get out of bed every morning, the great question to ask is, who or what is going to be my master today? Is it gonna be my comfort Is it going to be my reputation? Is it going to be my kingdom? Or like Paul, will it be Jesus Christ, risen from the dead? Paul knew who he was. He knew whose he was. Number three, Paul knew how he was called to serve. Verse one again, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So he's called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, Paul was a man who knew how to come under authority, and God placed him in a place or an office of authority. Paul did not put himself in the office of, of apostle. God did. He's wanting to make that clear here. And you know, the word apostle simply refers to one who fulfills the role of being a special messenger. Did you hear that? It it means someone who fulfills the role of being a special messenger. So in one sense, those of us who are disciples of Jesus are apostles, small, little a, little a, a lowercase a. And that's because he has entrusted the special message, just like he entrusted it to Paul, of the gospel that we are to uh, give to the world. But in the New Testament, right here in this passage, there is the office of apostle, capital A. And apostles in the New Testament are men that the Lord, this is important to understand, that the Lord Jesus himself appointed. He he set them apart and gave them authority, just like the prophets of the Old Testament. He gave them authority to speak on his behalf and to write scripture. So to disbelieve The apostles is to disbelieve Jesus. To disobey the apostles would have been to disobey Jesus himself. And I just want to be clear that that we as a church believe that the office of apostle ceased to exist uh, once the original apostles died. Scripture is, is now closed. We don't come up with new scripture or anything brand new. When we say 
as believers, as pastors, as we, when we say, thus saith the Lord, we're just basically saying what has already been said by the apostles, by the prophets in the scriptures. And so Paul understood his role. He understood that he was an apostle where he was to serve within the body. And that's what, what I would love to ask you this morning. Do you know your place? Where has God assigned you in the body? I was talking to a young man uh, last week. He, he goes to another church, and we were talking about giftings and that sort of thing. I said, do you know where God has placed you in the, in the body? And he just kind of sheepishly looked at me and said, no, I don't, I don't know where. I mean, he's a believer. He'd been going to church all his life in his mid-20s. He said, no, I don't know uh, my area in the body. And um, I told him, you know, you need to be, uh, it's a good thing to be in the community of believers. Um, God has placed, and we're going to see this in Romans chapter 12, that God has strategically placed each member within the local body to fulfill a, a specific uh, function. Uh, it's not all the same. He doesn't give us all the same gifts or have us do the same things. He doesn't even put us all in the same places, but he does give us a place to be in the body. And so that's why we always talk about it's important to be a part of a community of believers, whether it's at Reach Life Church or if it's somewhere else. You need to be, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be a member because you can use your gifts to build up the body and that body can help you discover your gifts, but you've got to be in close enough uh, community in order to be assessed that way. So Paul knew who he was, whose he was, how he was called to serve, and lastly, Paul knew who he was called to serve. Verse, uh, we're going to look at verse 8. The first group that he was called to serve is the church. Verse 8 says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul's saying, I see you. I see you. I've never seen you, but I see you. I know about your faith. Verse 9, he says, for God is my witness. In other words, I'm not lying. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in, in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I'm not lying, Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow God's, uh, by God's will I may now at last succeed in, in, in coming to you. He said, I've heard about you. You're my brothers. You're my sisters in Christ. And so I'm going to serve you. I'm called to serve. I'm going to serve you across in, in, uh, thousands of miles away from you by praying for you regularly. Church, you want to serve one another? One of the best ways we can serve one another is by praying for one another. And I praise God that that is happening in our church. All the time, I'm hearing about people praying for one another on text threads, through the, through the women's Bible prayer uh, on, on Monday evenings. We need to be praying for one another, serving one another through prayer. In verse 11, he says, For I long to see you. Paul saying, I have affection for you, though I have never met you. Now, have you ever met somebody and you found out that they loved Jesus or they were a follower of Jesus, and immediately you begin to have this fellowship you know, as you begin to trade uh, the gospel with one another and hear what they're doing in uh, each other's life? There's this joyful fellowship between you and them. I think that that's what Paul is experiencing here. Um, 
He says, I long to see you. Why? Why does he long to see them? Well, he, he says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Then he goes on to say that that, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. mine. He's, he's, what he's saying here is he says, I want to go and be a, amongst you because uh, I want to give and I want to receive. I, I want to strengthen and I want to be strengthened. I want to serve and be served, mutually served through fellowship with other believers. And to me, this is extremely interesting that the Apostle Paul says, I need not only to encourage, but I need to be encouraged. You know this about yourself, don't you? That you need to be encouraged, don't you? And so do I. I need to be encouraged. You're like, but dude, you're a pastor. Pastors don't need to be encouraged. Um, well, that's not true. I need to be encouraged. And I'm going to tell you what my pastoral love language is. I've got two. Why aren't y'all taking notes? <laughs> Number one, Visa gift cards. And that's only so I can take my wife out to dinner. But you know what? That's everybody's love language. Okay, so. But seriously, my, my, you know what, what encourages me as a pastor is when I see and hear how you all are actively pursuing Jesus. With, with your mind, with your heart, and, and by, when you're exercising your will. It encourages me when I see you taking the word of God and saturating yourself with it and allowing his word to dictate and to shape the way you think about things, the way you feel about things, the way that you live. That encourages me. I'm also encouraged when I hear how you all are loving one another. And this church does love one another. When you're inviting one another into your homes, you're sharing meals, you're bringing meals. As I said before, you're praying for, for, for one another. And also when I see you inviting those who are outside our circle into our circle and saying, ah, you've got to taste of Christ. That is what, that is what encourages me. That is my pastoral love language. Last night, uh, Caleb and Jenna oversaw a young adult's progressive dinner, and it ended uh, at my house. I wasn't there when it was going on, but at the end of it, I sat down I got at the very end, most people had gone, and, and I got to sit down and talk to two beautiful young ladies, uh, Leah and Braylon, who uh, love the Lord. And I just sat there, and I said, well, tell me what's been going on. And they were telling me about how they had been engaging in conversations with unbelievers, how they had uh, their plans uh, for moving forward as disciples. And as we talked, I needed to hear their testimonies of what God is doing in their lives. I, I, it was like, it was totally surprised me because I didn't expect that yesterday, but it also encouraged me. That's, that's another reason why we push for MCs, missional communities, because that's where we can look at each other face to face 
and encourage one another in Christ. The Apostle Paul was not a lone wolf who thought he could make it on his own apart from the church. He knew that he needed fellowship, and and so do we. And he knew that he was called to serve the church, and secondly, he knew that he was called to serve those who are outside the church. Verse 13, he says, Brothers, I have often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you. That's the church. And then he says, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. This is those outside the church. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul was called to preach to the church, and he was also called to preach to those who had never heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know, today, this morning, we are all benefiting from him being obedient to his call through this book of Romans. I just want to close by saying this and or asking one more question. Don't y'all want to grow? Don't, don't y'all want to grow in maturity in Christ? Don't you want to see God do greater things in our midst, things that we can't take credit for? Um, don't you want to pour out your life making much of Jesus' name, being motivated to serve because we've been served? I know the answer is yes. So I want to encourage all of us um, as we leave this morning. I want to encourage us to enlighten our minds with the word of God, to engage our hearts in faith, and to take steps to exercise our will. Let's do that. Be faithful and see what God does in our midst. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, um, I just ask that you would give us grace to apply that which we have heard, that which is from your word. I ask that you would transform us to be more like Jesus. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.